Hi, I'm John Plesnick, and welcome to Train the Church, where we talk about training men for ministry in the context of the local church. This podcast is produced by Faith Bible Church in Murrieta, California, where I'm a pastor. And joining me again today is Chris Mueller and Nigel Shaler, fellow pastors hey, at Hey, John. FBC. Hey, Nigel. How you doing? Hey, JP. Hey, Chris. Good to be with you guys this morning. Together, we uh, lead the Training Center, a three-year program of ministry training for men set in the context of our local church. And every month or so, it seems like, guys, we sit down with men who are from outside our valley who came in to visit and see what we do at the Training Center. Uh, And y'all know this podcast is an attempt by us to try and talk through many of the same things we regularly talk with those visitors about, talk through some of the questions. A lot of times they will come in, we'll get an hour and a half, two hours with them before uh, they then join us to watch the Training Center and see what we do with men. As we talk about our overall program with them, I think one of the most common questions we get is, can you really expect that much of your guys? I don't think our hmm. men could handle that much work. Uh, what, so, so the question we want to talk about today is, how much is reasonable to expect out of men we're training for ministry? Now, to be clear, when we ask this question, almost nobody is asking this about their character. Maybe a couple ask it about their marriage or their family. Most people are thinking homework, time studying, time spent in class. So I thought we'd start by talking about the thing no one asked about first, right? So if you're thinking about a man being trained for ministry, what should be expected of the character of the man you're training? What's, what's the baseline necessary? Well, obviously, I think that he has to be saved, you know. And, <laughs> it's a good starting yeah, point. You know, yeah. manifest a genuine salvation. Uh, there's a sense of pursuit of Christ, a little bit of the Luke 14. He's willing to do anything for Christ. He's uh, basically putting his life on the line. He's uh, a living sacrifice. He uh, is wanting to die to self. Uh, he wants to Christ to be exalted in all things. So there's that element that he's really following Christ and following the word. If there's question about his salvation, that, that's really a, an issue that needs to be resolved or worked through before that you would basically make the investment to train into an individual. So there's got to be that evidences of First John, you know, a, a love for the Lord, a willingness to obey, um, uh, that sense of right doctrine that's sort of established. It doesn't have to be all lined up, but definitely there. And an endurance, you know, that they've demonstrated over time uh, that they are truly following Christ through ups and downs, through trials and difficulties, etc. So some of those fruit evidences are really key. And again, I use, uh, you know, Luke 14, that uh, they hate their father, hate their mother, even their own life to follow Christ and be his disciple, willing to give up everything, willing to bear the cross. In other words, die for Christ. So that evidences need to be there character-wise. So completely renounced family before they can be trained for ministry. <laughs> Come on. You know, that element that uh, no relationship compares to their relationship to Christ. So that, you know, obviously they love their wives. Obviously they love their children. But they love Christ more. Okay. That they, uh, he is the Lord. He is their first love. So let me press on you a bit. Would you then not train a man who had, if there's any marital struggles or issues? It depends on what kind of marital struggles or issues, you know, and how ongoing they have been and how manifest. If they're in the deep trudges of really marital crisis, then 
counseling is there a need right then? You know, a real close mentoring, walking through those issues with someone who, and, or individuals or another couple that would care for them, that would be the key, not training at that point. Uh, I look at that person as like a, they have a broken arm and you need to repair that arm before you can have them run a race, right? So you don't want to be training them, which is running the race, going hard after it when they're still broken in some area and, and devastatingly needy at that particular point. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just that they're not really meant for training at that time in God's providence. Yeah, and we, we kind of filter out these kinds of issues in the application process. So the guys need to have some affirmation from their wife or, um, or a ministry leader that uh, they would not or both or both yeah, yeah. both yeah they and they need to actually affirm that the, this potential student doesn't have any kind of overt character flaw or some area of sin that has not yet been dealt with in a significant way um, not that the guy's perfect we don't expect that of course but we want to make sure that the guys coming into the training center they have this ab- above reproach kind of character so that no one in their life would say hey wait a second but he shouldn't be doing this there's something wrong in his life and everyone's aware of that and this doesn't make any sense we want to we want to know that we're working with someone that uh, has the potential to become some kind of lay leader in the future Mm. well there's a balance to that too then you know we are aware of their sinful bents even as they enter into the process or some of the areas where they're weak and, and not strong. Uh, so those things could be, you know, worked out to be uh, a non-above-approach status, depending on how hard you held that standard up against them. They're not elders yet, and so we're hoping that they'll grow into a, a man of character. At the same time, we're not going to look at a guy who's got an aberrant weakness that everybody's appalled by and offended by and really carefully carrying them through and and that they're not able to in a sense stand on their own to follow Christ they're they're um, very much dependent upon everyone on a particular issue we we would probably wait before we would enter into that process with them so does a man and this is really helpful i mean what what y'all have said is the ministry, there's a ministry, there's somebody in the church who's affirming that, yeah, they're ready to be trained, even though they're not perfect. But it's, you know, nobody's going to look at them and scratch their head and say, why, or that guy? And then the man's wife is not um, forced into saying yes, but her input is sought kind of in a really, hopefully, gracious way to say, is she enthusiastic, supportive of her husband, uh, participating in that with the hope, the prayer that he actually grows and matures through it. He's, I think, aspirational towards 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, rather than mature in 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1 character. What about his kids? Like, how much do they need to be uh, perfect, saved? Um, (laughs) How awry can they be uh, for him to be in the process? Oh, we look at Titus 1 and 1 Timothy 3 as being a help in that, and that Titus 1 actually seems to address older children with a newer church. And Ephesians and 1 Timothy 3 tends to address a, a more mature church with younger children. And so we would look at the guys in the same way. I mean, if they're 
younger children. They're, they're, they're not going to be um, pulling knives on other kids at church. At the same time, they're not going to be born again, many of them the younger ones, and they're going to be hopefully underneath their parents who are good examples, models, saturating their home in the Word. And so there's an element that we're hoping that they'll come to Christ. With those with older children, we're looking at where they're at with the Lord. And yet, because we're not training them to be elders, uh, some of the men uh, have gone through you know, difficult circumstances in the past. Maybe there was a divorce prior to them becoming saved, and yet they can still be trained as laymen and effective in ministry within the context of the church without being an elder. And so we definitely would invest in them too, as long as that sense is not a, a massive aberrancy or something that everyone's offended by within the context of the church. But if that's something that's not well known or something that they have managed and they're working on and praying about and very open about, then we, we would make investment into that man because we're training laymen and we're not training them to be pastors or elders. We're training them to be exactly what God intended them to be. And some of them are going to be significant lay guys who are going to be very well and massively used within the context of the church, but not elders, you know, not pastor teachers. And whatever their role ends up being in the life of the church, uh, they're all going to be ministering to unbelievers at some point. And, um, and, so, and the home is the great training ground for ministering to unbelievers because the kids enter into the home in that right. way. So the guys you know, need to have some kind of uh, fruitfulness in that setting, and, uh, and that's going to pave the way for ministering in the church. Mm. Uh, expectations for men in ministry. Uh, I know for us, for our program, they scale up. But for just generally somebody in a church who's looking at saying, how do I evaluate if a man is ready to be trained? Does he need to be in ministry at all for you to take him in? Do, what are you looking for ministry-wise as a right expectation? Well, I'm hoping that all the men would be in ministry. Obviously, our expectation when they enter into the training center year one, and again, not the only training that we do as a church, but this is now training for ministry, that they would be, have been in ministry. If they have not been, that's a little bit of a red flag, you know, that they're kind of saying, well, I, I want to do this, but it's not really grounded in reality. So that might be something that we would work through and we would explore why that has not happened Within our own context, uh, we would expect them to be members, which means that there's an expectation for ministry. And then when they're in the first year, they are ministering. And then in the second year, they are shepherding. And the third year, they are leading. And so that expectation of ministry is a part of this process. Prior to it, it, it is a red flag if a guy has had no ministry. Uh, it'd be more like, well, why don't you establish yourself in ministry for a couple years before you enter into this process. And when you're saying that, you're saying something more than, you should really go set up some chairs. Like, what do you, what do you mean by ministry practically? Faithful service in the context of the church. And obviously, along with that, not just exercising some form of giftedness or some form of faithful ministry, but interaction with the church body, that people in the church know who they are, that they, in a sense, affirm them as a believer, that there is consistency in their spiritual life, that they're following Christ, that there's, Christ is actively working in their life. They're responding to the Word of God. But all that relational interaction ought to be there and faithful service, that there's a consistency to it. And obviously, we always want to direct them towards 
shepherding, discipleship, you know, one-on-one involvement or, you know, group involvement with a other, you know, if it's a man, obviously a man, a man, a man to man, woman to woman, couple to couple, that kind of thing. So we want them to be integrated within the context of the church more than just attending. And again, in our culture, we have to address that constantly. You know, there are people who show up at church and that's their Christian life. They just show up. They're a spectator and we expect them to be participants because the New Testament does. Mm-hmm. All right. So moving on to the area most people actually ask about when we talk of hmm. workload, uh, what about, you know, how much can a guy reasonably handle workload for the training process? When students are in school, they take physics, they take calculus. Somehow, naively, we think they need like comic books for reading. Uh, outside of that, we, we can expect sometimes too little of our high school students. Um, But honestly, when they're taking physics and calculus, they're usually complaining about how the workload is really heavy. Uh, Men who are being trained for ministry often complain that the workload is too heavy. Uh, I think we all would say you can overload a guy. How do you know when you've overloaded people with work? Yeah, let's let's realize that someone comes in and sees our training center process and they see the guys doing all the work that they're doing and it is somewhat of a a surprise because we ask them to do a lot Mm -hmm. and we do give them uh big assignments the homework is taxing and it's going to require a sacrifice the guys are going to have to give up something in order to achieve the uh, going through training center Uh, often what we'll tell them is give up sleep or something like that. Um, so it's it's an effort. It is a sacrifice. Television, yeah. And television, sport, whatever it is, hobbies. Yeah. Uh, those are the things that can go by the way. Um, whatever training expectations we place on them, we realize that we're going to be in that realm of pushing guys to do more than they think that they could do. And the, But the question you're asking is how much is too much? Mm. Um, and, uh, and, and I think, uh, we're, we're constantly trying to figure that out. I think maybe in the early years of training center, um, we started with a little lower expectation. You guys would know that better than I, cause you were doing it before I was here. Um, and then ramped up. And I think now we have in the church an expectation of the guys come in knowing they're going to be worked hard and they're willing to to uh, commit to that but it's going to be something that as as a training center uh, ministry develops the the workload expectations will develop with it mm-hmm. it's kind of similar to like when a guy a pastor assumes a pulpit in a relatively untaught church his sermons are going to in a sense become more thicker developed um, tied to the text more deeply the longer that he's in the pulpit and the more that the men mature and they're going to be able to hear longer exposition, more exposition, deeper exposition, um, the more that they become accustomed to it. Like that, that's an yeah. element of what you're saying. Well, you there. want the guys to continue and not give up. So if you place the expectations too high and end up with no students, then that's not going to be encouraging. <laughs> or everyone all. dropping out. Because yeah. they drop out. At the same time, we live in a culture of young guys, millennials, uh, who have a sense of entitlement and ease and laziness, 
who haven't really developed the, a good work ethic and a desire to work hard at things. And, uh, and they need to learn those skills, those, that mentality. And so we are asking them to do more than they think they can do. Yeah, I agree with you. I feel like an old man looking at a young generation <laughs> that like you're like, your fathers were towards us. You yeah, know, just you like, are old, John. Yeah, <laughs> just, just, just own that it. doesn't seem right. I know, it's not. Yeah. You know, I think about four things. One is it's somewhat uh, an experiment as you begin. And you're wanting to say, well, how much can they handle? When you do that, uh, you want to have a plan as to what you're going to try to accomplish. And that's one of the key things with curriculum is you want to have a start and a finish. And when you're done, you want to be able to look at that and go, okay, we did accomplish something. When you also look at that curriculum, you want to make sure that it is uh, palatable and well worked through. One of the things that is so annoying to laymen is to give them assignments that have no purpose. Hmm. And so every single assignment, every process that we put into place has a reason. And the way we ask them to prepare it has a reason behind it. So you always affirm that when you begin that process with the students. You're reading this book because it addresses this issue and it fills this purpose and it helps you to establish this kind of line of thinking. We're going to review these things in class because, and we're always telling them what we're doing and why we're doing it and what the fruit will be. And when you become comfortable with that and they begin to see that fruit, they're more motivated. So one of the things I wanted to bring to the table is that in our earlier classes, we were very careful and we babied those guys along a little bit more than we do now. Now we have wives that are pushing their husbands to go in this process because they've seen the fruit of it within a congregation that's gone through this cycle now five times. And the wives are going, I want my husband in there. I mean, I, I can see the fruit. I want this, you know, and I don't care if he's busy and, and he whines about it. I'm going to push him. And so there's that element of super support and the whole congregation knows that men can do this. But when we first started, we were very careful here at the church. And when I first started it, even in another church in Spokane, it was we were very careful as to give them reasons why we did what we did and to measure it, make sure that even though it was aggressive, it was well thought through and that they could do it, you know, and that we're giving them viable information and viable scripture that is used in everyday life and everyday ministry so that it became useful information in, in every process, you know, so we never violated that. I, I remember years ago when I finished high school, I was done with school. I was lazy. <laughs> I didn't want to do any more study. I didn't want to learn because I felt like I knew everything I needed. To, I wanted to get out and live life and See, you live were a real millennial. life. I was a millennial before yeah. before my time. Um, th but then the Lord gave me a heart for ministry and training and preparation for the future of uh, ministry in the church. And now, so what you're talking about, Chris, is being motivated, making sure the guys are motivated. When I became motivated and I saw the reason why I needed to be trained and, and what I was learning for, that changed everything. Now I could stay up all night. Sure. Now I could do it the all-nighters. I could study, you know, for hours and hours and hours on end. 
and make whatever sacrifices were needed to get the work done because right. I knew why I was doing it and I was really compelled by that. Yeah, and we'll tell them specifically, you know, you already said TV and you have to mention sports and maybe their favorite team. And maybe they just have to say goodbye to their favorite team for three years, you know, and maybe they need to realize that they need to get up before their kids get up, before their wife gets up and stay up later. And they need to use their lunchtime at work if they have that opportunity much more wisely and their drive time to and from work. And we give them tools and encouragements in that realm. Uh, we also walk through steps of discipline and self-discipline and how that's exercised. So we'll come alongside the guys, you know, in that process. And that's why the discipleship element of the training center is that we can do that. We walk along with each guy. We say, tell us how you're doing. What's going on? How are you reacting to that? We, we kind of get a little bit of a clue from their wife. Are they disappearing? Are they non-interactive? Have they somehow lost their husband in this process? So we'll walk them through how this actually works itself out. And again, in those early days, kind of walking the guys through that was really crucial because some of them would go towards some of those extremes and we would work that through. And again, reasoning for everything we do. And then, you know, having a sense of uh, when the ordination practicum class was taught at the Master Seminary and the guys at basically year one of our training center, they were taking this one class and most of them had four other or five other classes. And so I'm looking at this going, well, if a guy can do this in the midst of all that other study that, you know, he's given himself full time to, then I think a layman can carry this. And so it just mattered about their willingness to sacrifice and their willingness to give themselves to this process. And really, because it involves their life changing and it involves their marriage and their kids and their ministry and their future in the church, it is pretty consuming. And we let them know, this is not just you're adding this to the, your lifestyle. This is your lifestyle. So you're in this training process. We're all engaged in it, encouraging you. The entire church family is engaged in encouraging you and supporting you. You know, we know what the expectations are. We can help you with the processes of how to memorize things and put them in uh, into your life and your mind and your heart so that it comes out the right way. And again... We tell guys, hey, you you know, are in the midst of college right now. They're going to do really well, you know, because they're already in the midst of study. The men who've stepped out of that and now are 40, 50, 60, and 70 and don't remember what that's like, there's, you know, some trauma involved in their stepping into this process, but they can get back into it. And the lazy millennial, if uh, they're going to, you know, say, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm entitled and I want this to be easy, they're going to have to grow up. And say, we're going to, uh, as one, one of the guys said, you kick the millennial right out of me, you know, and that's kind of what we do is try to help them to say, you know what, uh, you know, go to the ant, you sluggard, and let's figure out what it means to be a disciplined individual and go after this. Yeah, so. I think there's three, four weeks through the span of three years when we're focused exclusively on time management and how guys use their time and whether they're living according to priorities and they submit a schedule of their week and their time. I think it's every 15 minutes or half hour within that week of how they're using it, um, somewhat for accountability, but also just to make them grapple with how are you, are you effectively using your time uh, for the right things. Yeah, one of our other pastors, Sean Farrell, uh, our college pastor, he'll take those collegians and he'll walk through their week specifically hour by hour. And by the end of the this walkthrough, and he's savage, 
he'll look at, they've got 30 hours of not sleep time, just open-ended, you know, and he'll just say, look, you're not using your time well. You know, you need to be more intentional with this and walk them through and help them to use their time better. I think, uh, I think we want to model this for the students too, and, and I think we do that. Chris, you work hard and long hours, and so do you, John. Uh, a big commitment to investing into into the life of ministry, but our elders, our lay elders, model this as well. Oh, massively. So we're not we're not asking our students to do things that we and the elders are not doing uh, uh, themselves or ourselves. And so there's a consistency there, and it's not it ends up that's the safeguard. It is a realistic expectation. The students might not know it yet, but they will get to know it mm-hmm. eventually. And that could really be a challenge in another church where you have lay elders who aren't doing much in the context of a church. Mm-hmm. It does become a much harder thing to call men who are being trained for ministry to outperform, outwork your lay elders. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely true. Yeah, and when you're thinking about training, that's a really good point because you, it's not just the class. You're talking to the men, you're phoning the men, you're dialoguing with the men before and after class. You're interacting with their wives. You're talking to them on the patio between services. You're doing everything you can to carry them and walk them through and help them to think correctly about this. And part of that's discipline. So, you know, we usually tell guys if they are students, it could be anywhere from 6 to 20 hours a week. Uh, And they're capable of that, and many of them actually do put that amount of time in. But... It also depends on how disciplined they are at that point and how used they are to study. But there is, there is a big chunk of their life that they're now extending into this process. And that's really the biggest hang-up is like men aren't willing to do that. And I think the core behind that is the call to follow Christ. You know, are, have you died to self? Are you really committed to following him and being all that God intended you to be? And again... Our goal is not to make them into an elder or a pastor, but to make them into what God designed them to be. And I think for a lot of the guys, too, once that hump is crossed over, they're going, I just want to be whom God made me to be and fill that out. That's also a motivator as well. And just to be clear, Chris, you say 6 to 12 hours a week. 6 to 20. Or 20, okay. That's, uh, th- these are not full-time training, training center students. No. These are, these are lay guys and so they already have jobs and ministry some of them may still be students in school so this is on top of uh, a full load that they already uh, occupy and uh, so yeah it's, it's a big it's a big ask and we do have men who step out because providentially their time demands at work become astronomical you know just this last year several men well two or three you know, it just became at work. It was now they moved from a 60-hour week to an 85-hour week. And they're like, I can't do this. And we said, that's right. So let's wait until you can step back into the process. Mm-hmm. We just continue to make it available to men like that. And so we're saying, okay, well, let's try it next time. And I think there's, there's an element, though, where certain men who oftentimes are higher level at work, whether a business owner or just a high level worker who don't always have the uh, highest education, though they're amazing in their field, uh, they or just haven't been in academics for a long time. I find that they can tend to put work or put family 
on the back burner during training center, during their studies. And so they put in too much time. They're, they're not living according to their priorities. And they will spend 25 hours a week and sacrifice either their marriage or their job for a season. Uh, and they hit a point of burning out uh, where thankfully they, they cry out for help because they've just been doing it and it's not sustainable. So how do you encourage them? Well, part of it is, uh, again, Sundays, and again, this process, again, is not just a class, but it's all their life, and it involves discipleship and every element. So seeing their wives on the patio, how's it going? Okay, how's it really going? Is, is, he, is he distant? Is he still, you know, uh, I mean, or is he actually still investing, spending time with you, spending time with the kids, etc.? And the ladies are told before they even start the process that you need to tell us. Okay, we want to know. And you're not thinking on your husband. He's not going to be mad at you. We want to know. And so that we can help him and help you before it gets to that point where it's like the point of no return. You know, like we can't handle this anymore. So that's one big element is dialoguing with their spouses and then coming alongside of them. And just sometimes it's learning the process of study better. Sometimes it's the learning the process of study with another individual or using your wife and your kids, if you have older children, to actually help you in the process and engaging your family in it and turning it into something that you're all doing together as a family, that's a big deal. Or even in the context of your ministry, having like a training center graduate kind of mentor you as you're going through the process, that can help as well. But a lot of it is just the plain sense of how to discipline, how to compartmentalize your life in a way that it works for you in this process. A lot of guys will end up reading and trying to memorize everything that they're reading when they need to glean certain truths from the reading and really memorize other portions of the scripture. And so we need to redirect how they study. They think we need to learn every sentence, you know, of what we're reading. And I'm like, no, we're drawing key principles out of the reading, but not necessarily every sentence. Well, and some men are so geared to want to hit 100% in everything mm -hmm. that they're going to move from 12 hours of study <laughs> to 32 hours of study to get the last 9%, 100%, you know, totally yeah. right. Well, it, and you're talking about the type A guy. We love those guys because yeah. you love crushing them. <laughs> so well, let's just call it what it is. It's, it's pride. So yeah. they, they want to be top of the class. Right, and, right. And it's not the best motivation to, to work hard. And that, that idea of perfectionism is not a realistic expectation. Yeah. I mean, in every element of the spiritual life, it's we're, we're going to be perfect in heaven. And until then, we're in a process. Mm -hmm. And so we need to let these guys understand that we, we want them to know the word, but not to be perfectionist here. Mm. Yeah. Well, I know when we are given a coupon for a free ice cream cone, we may or may not cash it in. But when Beth spends five bucks on a card that's going to get us twenty dollars of value we're using it just to make sure we spend our five bucks i see so <laughs> in training right there is um an approach that requires nothing of men and generally that's not very valued by even the men who are in it yeah. compared to when they have investment into it so what would y'all say for somebody who's starting a training program what, what's the minimum workload? Like what, what just is your thinking about like what should be expected of men? How, how do they sort out what's reasonable? What's a good starting point? I think if 
and, and Chris said it right before, it's a little bit of an experiment and trial and error as you ascertain the standards. But if, if you get to an end, the end of maybe the first round and, and the students are saying, well, that was easy, <laughs> well, that's not, a, that's not a good sign. You didn't ask enough of them. So you have to have some expectations that's going to press them to do more than they thought that they could do. I think in general, men are warriors. They want to be warriors. They don't want it to be safe. I think there needs to be a risk involved and a, an effort, a little bit of fear. It's kind of like being on the practice field in your football practice. You know, you just don't know if you can do it. And uh, it's a little bit scary. You're going to have to really exert yourself. I, I think it's really wise to challenge men beyond what they think they can handle. But you need to know as the trainer that you're able to walk them through this, you know, that you're not loading so much on them that it's, it's, that you can't pull it off, you know, as a trainer. And I think that if you call men to say, look, we want to help you to understand the New Testament, you know, all of systematic theology, practical theology, and you, you lay that out and you say it can be done, uh, I think that men want to rise up to it. I think we need to I remember one of our elders, Robert, used to say, you're brilliant, Chris, because you tell them you can't do it, you know, and, and they all want to do it. And there's a little bit of element of that, you know, that the sense of, guys, you really can't pull this off on your own, but if you're dependent upon the Spirit of God and you're willing to, in a sense, be willing to discipline your life and take those steps necessary, you can pull this off and the Lord can help you walk through this process. But it's got to be a little bit of a challenge, a little bit risky, a little bit beyond them. And men will shock you and surprise you with what they're capable of. And I, I just think that it needs to be more than what they can handle, but it should be something that, in a sense of, as the trainer, you think is attainable. And that's where the experiment comes in. And yeah. I would agree with Nigel. I think it's a death knell if they walk through a process and they say, oh, that was easy. Right. I'm like, oh, you know, that's not training, guys. You're not pushing them. There is this balance where if you start so hard that you lose the majority of your group, you went too hard ahead, too hard at it, and it's almost unrecoverable because you're not going to win those people back in, and you've right. created an impression within your church that nobody's going to want to join. Correct. I mean, there's the, there's the flip side that you make it so easy that people say, what's the value? What's the point of that? There, there is a little bit of a middle ground. It seems like you want to do something and, and just thinking about right in preaching. You have 20 percent who always love you, 20 percent who always hate you. And then there's the, that middle ground of people in training men. You're going to have a few guys typically who have way more time than a few of the other guys who are just working harder, have a lot of kids, whatever that threshold is, and you are aiming to make it a decent amount of work for that middle group, whoever's you know not in either of those two categories. And then you're helping and encouraging that top level, and probably you're kicking and giving some extra assignments to the, to the younger, more free. But you're, you're thinking more about, okay, what's a reasonable workload maybe a little heavy for that middle group rather than thinking all of them in one situation you yeah. want to recognize the different situations they're in yeah. so yeah it's it's a it's quite a challenge to try to f determine that level for your church especially as you begin um, but there's an element of if it's been done you know somewhere then it can be done elsewhere you know men are men yeah there is 
Our environments, though, and again, even as we began here, you know, we didn't have as strong a training environment as we do now. And so there was a sense of cultivation, a lot of communication, over-communication as to what we're doing. And then, you know, John and I would openly admit that we carried those first men, that first class, a little bit more than we do now. In fact, we don't carry them at all now. But in the early years, we're, we spent a lot more time individually with them to make sure we had a graduating class, right? Yep, absolutely. I would think if uh, a pastor or a, a church said, hey, we're going tra- to train some, some people here in, in, in the church, and we want to meet once a month. There's a couple things going on there. Maybe they're saying once a month because we think that's what our guys can handle. I think our response would be, well, but once a month doesn't create any kind of momentum. So that would be a whole other uh, element to to evaluate because you want momentum. You need to be meeting regularly, and, and you want guys to be in that consistent meeting weekly uh uh, so that they can continue building what they're learning and they, and they don't uh, have gaps in the process. Usually as somebody who's doing it once a month, the concern ultimately is for the guy who's doing the training that he can't handle a heavier mm-hmm. schedule for that mm-hmm. than the men who are being trained. Right. Mm-hmm. I think the other element that you have to say with once a month is that this is not just an educational system. It's a training process, so the men are involved in ministry. The, you're involved in their lives. They're involved in each other's lives. There's a discipleship element to it. There's preaching, te- teaching, training, review, ministry practice, all those things that are a part of that. So when you say once a month, you're actually moving more away from Christ's model, which was to live with men on a, a, on a you know <laughs> daily basis. So we can't actually do that, uh, and we can't do better than Christ but we can approach a little bit more of a lifestyle mentality. And that's why once a week for us is kind of a no-brainer. Um, every other week tends to move away from that, once a month even farther away from that. And so that element of drive and relationship, and we're in this together and coming alongside and helping them, there's so much distance between the meetings to get together that you don't even know where they're at. They're dropping the course before you even get a chance to actually interact with them that's not really a healthy environment as well. It needs to be more frequent than less frequent. Mm -hmm. So final question for you guys. Practical help for a pastor. He's creating a training program. He's talking to the body about it. Men come up to him who are interested and say, man, that sounds great. I just don't have the time. How would you tell him to respond to them? What should he say? Short, pithy, funny, sarcastic, whatever you <laughs> Short, want to say. Short, pithy, funny. Um, you know, the guy that I, I'm just happy when any guy tries anything because there's so few pastors that train. And I love it when a guy, even if he fails, I love it when he tries. So I would want guys to try. And I would say, hey, grab the ordination outline at Grace Community Church and walk them through that or grab the MacArthur Handbook of the Bible and walk them through that or walk through the Bible or talk through the Bible or one of those elements where you're grounding them in the scripture or go through each book of the Bible, find its theme, pick out the key passages that you would want to know for ministry and for the historicity of the Bible and for theology and give it to them. You know, some process that 
that you think that you can handle uh, that's not overwhelming? And so, so let me ask this just a slightly different way. Because okay. you're thinking about what about the pastor who says he doesn't have time. I'm saying, what would how if you were the pastor presenting a training program to a church, okay. and the men in the church come up to you and say, it sounds great, I just don't have the time to join you. What are you going to say to those men? Uh, yeah, so... Act like men. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, there are some guys who say, I don't have time, and that really is true. That is like, true, yeah. So if they're working 80 hours plus, if they've got eight kids in the home, you know, they, they don't have time. you got eight kids in the home, you need to work 80 hours just yeah. to pay for them. Yeah. Exactly. Now... We uh, did have one, though, that yeah, had 13 kids it. in the home. That was so, amazing. Yeah. Some guy will say, well, I don't have time. And I think our response will be, well, you know, this is, this is a new thing for us. It's a new training, CNO process. We're experimenting. Uh, why don't you come along and uh, give this a shot? Let's, let's, let's take the first four weeks. Just get in, get in the process. And, and whilst you're doing this work, let's talk about your schedule. Let's talk about your time management let's see if we can make this work and we'll work together we'll encourage you to to see if this could actually happen for you and that's what we do with our guys too we still do that even though they know that laymen can graduate from this process as demanding as it is and we'll say the first four weeks are very much open we'll refund you know your you know the the cost of the tuition and again, it's not a money maker for us. We're just trying to pay the bills for them to go to a conference with us and et cetera. And so, you know, we'll say, look, first four weeks, we'll walk you through it. We'll help you do it. We'll, we want feedback. We're checking with each one of them to make sure they're doing this. This is not bigger is better. You know, we're looking at 12 guys, uh, 18 guys, six guys, three guys, whatever. We're, we're not looking at a large group of people. We're trying to make sure there's lots of mutual investment, lots of discipleship, but we're asking them. And then during that four weeks, if they can't pull it off somehow, they can't exercise enough self-control, discipline, whatever is necessary, there's too much demand on them, well, then we have them drop. And we say, try the next cycle when we start it back up again. And But with the guys that remain, then we're going to try to help them through that process. Right. Yeah, I think the other thing I might suggest to that man is say, hey, let's get together, not on the patio right now, but let's talk about what you are expecting it to be and just make sure before you decide either yes or no that your expectations for what the process will be are accurate and it might be that you're right you shouldn't do it and it may be that you've imagined something way bigger than what it actually is so i think it's a larger conversation uh, well thank you guys for your feedback and help encouragement today next week is the final episode of season one we're talking curriculum the most common question we get by men who've not spent time with us is, can I see your curriculum? Now, episode seven described our whole training process and curriculum pretty broadly. So in that this next episode, we're going to talk through what differentiates a good curriculum and process from a bad one. Uh, you can find show notes from today at our website, www.trainthechurch.com. And if you want to be sure to catch the next episode, hit the subscribe button on your podcast player. Uh, thanks for listening and go train the church. Thank you.